Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 125, John the 11th. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's the day. Today we get to that Pope that Marozia, who is the de facto ruler of Rome, had been waiting for when she picked the last couple of popes. That is John the Eleventh. John was her son. He was born John of Tusculum. He was the son of Albrecht I and Marozia. Though, as we mentioned in past episodes, there was a strong belief by some opposing chroniclers at the time that John was actually the illegitimate son of Pope Sergius III and Marozia, with whom he had had an affair. There's some cause historically to doubt this characterization, and our most reliable source from this time period, a monk named Floedard, comes down against him being illegitimate, especially since John was conceived and born after Marozia had mar- married Albrecht I of Spoleto, and we would think that she wouldn't carry on this affair with the Pope if she was just married to this new person. However, some people really doubt this and do say he's an Ill- illegitimate son of Sergius III. Now, regardless of his origins, John was destined for the church by Marozia from a young age. He was ordained the cardinal priest of Santa Maria in Trastevere. In 931, when he was in his early 20s, Marozia had him elected pope. John XI was politically entirely controlled by his family, first by his mother, Marozia, but then later by his brother, or if you view him as illegitimate, by his half-brother, Albrecht II of Spoleto. In fact, in 932, this switch came about because of Marozia. If you remember from a couple episodes back, Pope John X had invited Hugh of Provence to Italy to be king, partially to try and tamp down the influence of Marozia and counteract her with this new powerful actor on the northern border. She had married Guy of Tuscany sometime around 926, but now she had higher ambitions to power, and she decided that that marriage wasn't good enough and she had it annulled. So then she had contracted a marriage with Hugh, the king of Italy, who finally came to Rome in 932 to marry Marozia, and more importantly, for his sake, to gain control of Rome. This was definitely all about him being king of Italy and ruler of Rome, which is a very prestigious thing at this time period. And who knows, the ruler of Rome often is made the Holy Roman Emperor. So he arrived, planning on eventually taking control of the whole city with his army, but for the wedding he figured he didn't want to rush into things too much. So he just left him, his army outside and came with his bodyguard. And that was a big mistake, because while in Rome, Hugh angered his soon-to-be stepson, Alberich II. He apparently slapped him across the face for accidentally pouring out some water he wanted to use to wash his hands. So Alberich, who was totally insulted by this random dude coming in, pretending to marry his mother, or seeking to marry his mother out of false pretenses, and then slapping him across the face, Albrecht did what any good Roman would do at that time. He got together a Roman mob. And so he brought the mob in and on Hugh and Marozia's wedding day stormed the castle San Angelo where they were having their reception. Hugh escaped, but he left behind his new bride, Marozia, who was put in prison where she would live five more years before finally dying. Albrecht II was now basically dictator of all Rome and the Duchy of Spoleto. And John XI had to do now what he said. John had already been doing the bidding of his mother before this. She had asked him to intervene in a couple issues in Milan and Constantinople in order to help promote her own agenda, and now he was under the control of his brother. And that meant basically living under house arrest in the Lateran Basilica, saying mass, and not doing much else. 
He had no real authority. His brother was in complete control. But before we end this papacy, we have another glimmer of hope, because in 931, early in John's papacy, he confirmed to St. Odo of Cluny the privileges of the monastery of Cluny to be free from any external feudal control, and he extended that privilege to five other houses that St. Odo was reforming at the same time. And since this is a depressing time in the history of the church, it would be helpful for us to look at this really awesome saint, St. Odo of Cluny, who was one of the great saintly reforming abbots of the Benedictine order. St. Odo was at an early age caught up in worldly pleasures, especially hunting and feasting with his friends, but he had a profound moment of conversion which called him to enter into the canons of St. Martin of Tours. There he was known for his asceticism and his fasting and his desire to give absolutely everything for Jesus. And when he heard about the foundation of the abbey at Cluny and the strict reforming attitude of St. Berno, who was the abbot, he knew, this is the place for me, I have got to go there. In fact, there's a story that as he was walking to the abbey, some jaded monks were leaving, uh, saying, you can't possibly be serious. You can't possibly be going there. St. Berno is crazy. He's way too strict and he's way too harsh and no one can live that way. But St. Odo was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Sign me up. And so it spurred him on and he actively took part in this reforming work St. Berno had begun. He was made the successor of St. Berno on his death, and he continued with great love and holiness to call Benedictine monks back to their founding principles, the worship of God, the care for the poor, and spiritual asceticism. He famously said that the blind and the lame are the porters of the gates of heaven, so we should treat them as such, and consequently the abbey fed thousands of poor in the neighborhood. Under his rule, the Abbey of Cluny became the center of a massive reforming movement that is eventually going to spread across Europe. And so we can thank John XI for promoting St. Odo and confirming him in his reforming mission. That mission will eventually reach all the way to Rome and to the papacy. But for now, it's just beginning. But we do have that glimmer of hope. For the last four years of John XI's pontificate, he was, as I mentioned, in practical house arrest in the Lateran. And he died in early January of 936. We're not even sure of his burial place, though some suggest it was in the Lateran near the burial place of Sergius III. He was succeeded by Leo VII, and we will talk about him and his reforming papacy next week. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Thank you and God bless you.